Let's pray together before we look to God's word. Heavenly Father, we do not come to your word presumptuously, but we do come expectantly. And we ask then the words that we're about to hear and even have the very privilege of reading, that you would transform our hearts to look more like Jesus, transform our actions to resemble his ministry here on earth and even his death. And may we trust in you as our redeemer, our rescuer, our king. In Jesus' name, amen. For centuries now, human beings have been crafting love stories around the concept of a damsel in distress. From the ancient Greek tale of Perseus and Andromeda to the modern-day saga of Superman and Lois Lane, good love stories revolve around a young lady who needs to be rescued. Now, some moderns, and maybe even some of you here this morning, have taken issue with the way this concept has been abused, and perhaps for good reason. But I think you will agree with me that in the end, when used properly, a damsel in distress makes for one great love story. In fact, the Bible itself uses the imagery of a damsel in distress to illustrate our need for rescue. The church, after all, is the bride of Christ. Pastor Douglas Wilson has summarized the plot of the Bible with the slogan, kill the dragon, get the girl. And this concept tells us something, I think, very important about ourselves. And that is that each one of us, man, woman, boy, or girl, in God's eyes, is a damsel in distress. We are hopeless, we are helpless, and we are broken. And we need to be rescued. We need to be redeemed. That is the plot of the Bible on a grand scale. And it's the plot of the book of Ruth on an even smaller scale. Please turn with me to the book of Ruth. That's going to be our text for this morning, the entire book. Page 222 in the Bibles we've provided for you. This morning, we're going to be surveying the book of Ruth, chapters 1 through 4, and discovering, for our own joy, I pray, that our Redeemer meets us in our desperation and welcomes us into His family. That's the point. Our Redeemer meets us in our desperation and welcomes us into his family. The book of Ruth tells the story of Ruth's own experience with that truth. And it can be broken up fairly easily into three sections that we'll go through this morning. So let's begin. First in chapter 1, we see the desperation of a damsel. The desperation of a damsel. Verses 1 through 5 provide us with 
the introduction. We see in verse 1, hope your Bibles are open, that the story of Ruth occurs in the days when the judges ruled. Do you see that? Now, the judges, if you will remember, were those mighty men and even a woman whom God raised up to defend the nation of Israel from her enemies. This was a very troubling time for Israel. But nearly all of the troubles that Israel experienced were self-inflicted. The book of Judges tells us repeatedly that the people of Israel continually did evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you'll flip one page to the left in your Bibles and look at the very last verse of the book of Judges, you will find this sobering, summarizing statement of the whole book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But if we return now to verse 1 of the book of Ruth, we're also told that there was a famine in the land. God is disciplining Israel just as he promised he would do through Moses. That if the people of Israel were to reject him and follow after other gods, he would withhold his reign and afflict them, discipline them with famine. These are very bleak days for Israel. And it is against this dark backdrop that we are introduced to a particular Israelite man and his family. Continuing in verse 1. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. What are we to think of this man, Elimelech? His name means God is king. But his actions demonstrate quite the opposite, don't they? God disciplines the land of Israel with famine and he skirts out of town. He turns his back on God. He leaves Bethlehem, which means, by the way, house of bread. And he takes up residence in an evil country, Moab. Enemies of Israel, enemies of God. But after Elimelech and his family arrive in Moab, tragedy hits. Elimelech dies unexpectedly, and his poor wife, Naomi, is left with her two sons. But these sons only continue in their father's sin. They do what the Lord had specifically told them not to do. They marry Moabite women. Kilion marries Orpah, not Oprah, Kilion marries Orpah, and Malon marries Ruth. But before we know it, tragedy hits again. The two sons 
die, leaving Naomi and her Moabite barren daughters-in-law all alone. The three women now have no one to provide for them, no one to protect them, and no one to preserve the family line. They were living in a nightmare. And Naomi, worst of all, you see, her daughters-in-law were young, and they were in their own country, but they were young. They could remarry. They could have children. They could put this entire tragedy in the past, but not Naomi. She was old. She was in a strange land. She is, as one commentator has put it, a victim of death and of life. But in her deepest distress, she hears whispers of good news. Look with me at verse 6. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. God had shown mercy to his people. He had lifted the famine in the land. Could this be his provision for Naomi in dire straits? Well, she had no choice but to return to Israel with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. But somewhere along the journey home, Naomi begins to anticipate the neglect and even the abuse and harassment that would befall these two Moabite unwanted women in the land of Israel. So Naomi blesses both of them and urges them with tears to return to their families. And although both daughters-in-law refuse her request at first, we read in verse 14... Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. That is, kissed her goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Naomi rebukes Ruth. But Ruth is insistent and vows her loyalty to Naomi. And this Moabite throws herself upon the mercy of the God of Israel. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Those are beautiful words. And after hearing them, Naomi allows Ruth to accompany her. And the two women arrive safely in Bethlehem. But when the women of the town come out to greet them, it is still evident that Naomi is overwhelmed with grief from all the loss she has experienced. And she says to the women in verse 20, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, 
Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. Did she really? And the Lord has brought me back empty. Did he really? So Naomi is bitter. Ruth is desperate. Both are hopeless. And God is hidden. But he is not absent. We see in the next section that God would meet these women in their desperation through the kindness of a kinsman redeemer. Now, what in the world is a kinsman redeemer? We're familiar with the term redeemer in in Christian uh, terminology, but what, what is this kinsman redeemer? In the Bible, the role of a kinsman redeemer is intended to show how God cares for the hopeless. Under Levitical law, the laws laid out in the book of Leviticus, if, listen, we're talking law here, I know, but you've got to listen. If an Israelite man dies without a son, his closest male relative is obligated then to buy his land and marry his widow in order to produce a son and preserve the family line. Does that make sense? That male relative is referred to as a kinsman redeemer. But as you can imagine, this task requires the worthiest of men. He had to be related. He had to be rich. And he had to be willing to take the land and the widow under his care and responsibility. So with that in mind, with that concept in mind, listen to how chapter 2 begins. We can already see in these opening words how God's hidden hand is at work. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Cue the song, Matchmaker, Matchmaker, from Fiddler on the Roof. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and Glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Here again is a reference to God's care for the hopeless under the Levitical law. God had commanded harvesters, the workers of the field, to leave for the poor, namely for the foreigners the widows, and the orphans, whatever was dropped or left behind during the course of their work. It was the perfect welfare system. The poor could glean, gather the leftovers, and supply for the survival of their family and them without compromising their dignity. But sadly, in the days when the judges ruled, 
Gleaning could often be risky business, especially for a young woman. Sort of like getting a tank of gas at 11 p.m. They could be denied their right to glean at best and at worst abused, harassed, mistreated by the landowners and the workers. But Ruth was desperate. She's on the brink of death. Verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This is so cheesy, isn't it? You look over at your wife and she's crying. It's so touching. Who was of the clan of Elimelech. What a coincidence. And what do you know in the next verse? Here comes Boaz, the knight in shining armor, the Drew Dilde of the ancient world. Verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. I mean, this is Mr. Wright. Put his picture on the refrigerator. He's gracious, he keeps the law, he blesses the poor, he takes notice of them, and he especially takes notice of Ruth. Verse 5, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Which is to say, Whose young woman is this? Check her out! And the servant tells Boaz, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab, which is to say, trust me, dude, you do not want that. She's a Moabite. But Boaz seeks Ruth out. He doesn't summon her to come into his palace like a rich prince, but he comes to her in the mud of the field like a lowly servant. Verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. (laughs) David Platt has said, This is the epitome of an Old Testament pickup line. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. (laughs) This is amazing generosity. Boaz goes above and beyond the letter of the law to provide for this poor Moabite widow. Not only does he allow her to continue gleaning in the field... But he protects her like family and gives her privileges that not even his servants enjoy. Ladies don't drink from men in that time. The women drew the water. And if you were a foreign woman, you drew the water. It doesn't work the other way around. This is a complete reversal that has just happened. And Ruth 
is overwhelmed with gratitude. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. But Boaz doesn't stop there. In verse 14, he feeds her at his table. And at mealtime... Lunchtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat down beside the reapers. Yet even at his own table, this man's kindness knows no bounds because after he seats her, he serves her. It says he pasted her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she even had some Left over. After the meal, Boaz then instructs his servants to allow Ruth not only to just glean from the scraps, but to glean right alongside his women workers. She was getting first dibs on everything. And he even said, And go to the bundles and leave out some of the sheaves intentionally so that she can take that too. And at the end of the day, Ruth has gleaned 50 pounds of barley. That's half a month's wages for a gleaner in one day. She's on her way home. She's exhausted, no doubt, from the day's work and also from the enormous load that she's carrying. And once she arrives home, Naomi, the bitter mother-in-law, old, hasn't gotten up from the couch all day, watching Judge Judy, completely hopeless. It's as if she stands up and she is amazed at Ruth's success and she asks her where she worked. But Ruth seems to have a man on her mind. She doesn't tell her where she worked. She tells her with whom she worked. She says, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi lights up. Oh, Boaz. Ruth and Boaz. She doesn't say that. But she does say, the man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. Wink, wink. Could this be Ruth's redeemer? Could this be Naomi's hope? Of the three criteria for a redeemer, Boaz had already met two. He was related. He was rich. But was he willing? Well, at this point, Naomi takes matters into her own hands in a way that only a mother-in-law can. She devises a pretty shady scheme on the threshing floor for Ruth 
to go to Boaz in the middle of the night, wake him up while he's sleeping, and ask him to marry her. And the plan works. <laughs> Not recommended, but it works. It scares Boaz half to death, but it works. And Boaz tells Ruth that he is willing to redeem her. But there's just one problem. There's a male relative closer to the family than he. And so the suspense continues. And Boaz promises Ruth that he will settle the matter first thing in the morning. And in chapter 4, when morning dawns, Boaz goes to the city gate, finds the other redeemer. We don't even know this guy's name. He finds the other redeemer and gathers the elders of the city to be his witnesses, and he tells the redeemer about Elimelech's death and asks him if he would like to redeem his land. And the Redeemer agrees. And the hopeless romantics among us stand up and protest. But then Boaz says, Oh, you know, there's just one more thing. There's just one more thing. If you buy the land, you have to marry the poor, destitute, Moabite widow. And the Redeemer says, no way. And then at the climax of the story, Boaz stands up and he says, I will redeem her. The elders then give Boaz their blessing and pray for God to open Ruth's barren womb. And the section ends with warm fuzzies. Now we come to the third and final section of the story. The goodness of God's plan. The goodness of God's plan. In these final verses, God gives Ruth and Naomi a glimpse of his sovereign good purposes behind all of their sufferings that they couldn't see before. Their sufferings were not random. Through every tear and heartache, God was doing something wonderful for them, for all of Israel, and for us. Verse 13 provides us with the happily ever after ending that we so desperately want. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. A son. And the women of the town, who had only weeks earlier consoled Naomi in her bitterness, now rejoice with Naomi and bless the Lord for restoring, restoring her life. But the real kicker of the whole story is found in verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave this child a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, Israel's greatest king. Wow. This just became more than a love story. 
this story just became monumentally important. God had placed Ruth in the family of the king. And not only that, but we see in Matthew's genealogy in the New Testament that God had placed Ruth in the family of an even greater king. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of God. Now, how in the world does a Moabite widow find herself in the family of God? She finds herself in the family of God the same way you and I find ourselves in the family of God. Through the kindness of a Redeemer. Like Ruth, we too were once desperate, broken, and destitute. And like Naomi, we were even bitter toward God and hostile toward Him. But Christ, our Boaz, sought us out in our misery, met us in our mud and our mess, and paid our ransom to set us free forever. Just as the Apostle Peter tells us, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. Now, you and I are called to be like Christ to others. We are to show the kindness of our Redeemer to a world that is broken and bitter, to those who least deserve it. We are to seek out and even prefer the poor, the widows, and the orphans. We are to seat them at our table and serve them the finest food, not because we're rich, but because we're loved. Do you know this love? Do you know this mercy? Or are you still utterly miserable? If you have heard nothing more this morning, hear this. Christ is related. Christ is rich in mercy. And Christ is willing to redeem. Come to Him. Find your rest in Him. And be welcomed at His table. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You for taking on flesh for us. Thank You for leaving the riches of Your heavenly throne and coming to us in the mud. Thank you for that night in the garden when you struggled with being willing, but you prevailed. And thank you that you were not only willing to redeem us, but you were joyful about it. Help us to look to you as our joyful, rich, kind redeemer 
and help us to point others to you as well. Amen.